0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. It's pretty common these days, or pretty easy at least, to encounter people who believe that the only things that are real are things that we can see and touch and grab hold of with our sensory experiences. It's very easy. You, You run into this all over culture. This idea that the only things that are real are material things. And anything that we can't see or that we can't investigate or we can't get under a microscope, it's not real. The material world on this view is all there is. Or at least it's all we can be certain about. Everything else, just kind of put that on the shelf. We can't be certain. As Christians, we're, we're inclined to kind of get aggressive there a little bit, aren't we? We kind of want to say, no, no, no. There's another reality that's invisible. There's the kingdom of God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is a world that is invisible. We read about it in the Scriptures. Here's Peter. The angel of the Lord shows up. God works in ways that are not always perceptible with physical senses. We want to hold that line. The thing that strikes me, the thing that concerns me to some degree, though, is this. Even though we say we want to hold that line, we sometimes behave and act and run in patterns that would suggest or assume that the only thing that's real is what we can see and control and get our hands on. We say we believe in invisible realities, like God, but when it comes down to our daily actions and behaviors and postures, sometimes, sometimes, we're driven by the realities we can see instead of by the realities we can't. Instead of yielding control to the one we can't see, we insist on holding on to it and controlling the things that are in front of us. And so so I wonder sometimes that even though in principle we're not giving up on the reality of invisible reality. But I'm not sure that's always the reality that defines us, and I'm not sure that's a new problem, because even in the New Testament, 2,000 years ago, we have people who are more focused on what they can see and letting that define reality than what they can't. Even Peter himself is susceptible to this. Now, we want to hold on to the principle that there's another reality we can't see. And when we hold those two realities beside each other, you got the visible reality of this world, right? Atoms and protons and people and all, like, we can, here we are. We can see and touch and hear one another. But sometimes helpful Christian leaders, people like C.S. Lewis, want to remind us that, that not only is there an invisible reality, that that invisible reality is more real, not less. So we kind of want to say, yeah, 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 I believe in the invisible reality, but but, but I got to deal with what's in front of me. And Lewis wants to come along. People like Lewis want to come along and say, "Yeah, you got to deal with what's in front of you, but that's not as real as the One who made all things and sustains all things." For Lewis, one of my favorite things about uh, his his theology, honestly, is there's this great quote in, in one of his books called "The Great." It's, the book is called "The Great Divorce," and it's this guy who's kind of he gets on a bus and he's riding on a bus with some other people to heaven. And the closer he gets to heaven, the more solid everything gets. Like before he gets there, he thinks he's solid. Like you look at yourself, we're all solid, right? But the closer he gets to reality, the closer he gets to heaven, the closer he gets to God's presence, he begins to be able to, you know, his like he steps off the bus and he puts his foot on the ground and he can kind of see through his foot. And he's saying, he's all of a sudden he's realizing, what if I'm not ultimate reality god is and the closer i get to god the more shadowy i i feel and 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 he steps on the grass and it hurts because it's more real than he is and all of it and as over time he begins to see and one and and the guy that's kind of guiding him along makes a comment one of my favorite quotes in all of lewis's lewis's books he says reality is harsh to the feet of shadows (laughs) amen Because sometimes we're brought face-to-face with the reality that is the triune God. And sometimes we're brought face-to-face with realities that a moment before we couldn't see, but God opens our eyes, and it's hard to deal with. And we're taken aback. And maybe we feel wounded, like Jacob, when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Because reality is hard to deal with sometimes. So so I wonder if that's one of the reasons we're kind of tempted to say, you know what, I believe God is real, but that affirmation doesn't always determine the way I run my home or the way I relate to my colleagues. There's some distance there. And the thing that we run into in Acts is that there's this determinative reality. It's more real than everything else. Everything else is a shadow compared to this thing. Everything else is is relative to this reality, and you can't just see it, and it's counterintuitive, and it's not always just obvious how it's working its way out. And the thing in Acts is the kingdom, isn't it? Like in Acts, the kingdom of God is ultimate reality. And you got people like Herod and people like the Jewish council, and they're running around trying to do everything they can to stop this movement of Christians, and they don't realize they're running up against ultimate reality. And so I wonder if there's something we can, like if we can be formed by reflecting on the nature of the kingdom as that which is really real and more real than everything else. Like, if I were to ask you, like, what, what feels more real, whatever administration is, happens to be in the White House or the reign of God in Christ over the kingdom? Well, I don't get press briefings from the reign of God in Christ over the kingdom every day, do you? And so, like, our lives are governed by those kinds of things. They come over the airwaves, and we can see it, and we can hear it, and it's very clear and tangible. And it's very easy to forget that the most real person reigns at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, as we confess together this morning. That's reality. And so it's easy, even though we confess it on Sundays, to not walk in it on Mondays. The kingdom of God defines reality. And the thing about Acts, and we see it just kind of keeps on making this point in different ways, the kingdom of God defines reality, and the closer we get to the kingdom, the closer we get to reality. Bottom line, the closer we get to the kingdom of God, the closer we get to reality. So the question is, do you want what's real or not? Do you want what's real, or do you want the metaverse? <laughs> do you want what's real, or do you want what's temporal? So we come to Acts. We come to Acts. And the first thing we need to recognize is that the question of what's real doesn't come up for the first time in chapter 12. It's in chapter 12. We even hear that word. Peter didn't think it was real. But that's not the first time that question has come up. If you go back to chapter 5, you'll remember that the apostles are out healing people and proclaiming the gospel. And the Spirit showed up not too long ago. And they're excited. And they're rolling. And they're having a good time. And everything is it's happening and the kingdom is here and it looks really real because like, stuff's going on and then they get dragged in before the authorities and the authorities threaten them, don't do that anymore, don't preach in the name of Jesus, keep it down, be quiet, go back to work, leave it alone. And they respond, we, we can't obey you rather than God, we've gotta obey God rather than you. And so we got a conflict on our hands here, don't we? And there's one guy on the council who's pretty sharp and very wise. Name's Gamaliel. You may remember Gamaliel. Gamaliel says, "You know, guys, Gamaliel's the let's take it down a notch guy. Maybe you have one of those in your life. (laughs) If you don't, you probably need one of those in your life." So he says to the council, "He's like, all right, guys, this is kind of getting a little out of control. Let's take it down a notch. Bring it down. Remember the rebellion not too long ago? There was the guy kind of led the thing." And we were all kind of worried about it, but it fizzled out because it wasn't legit. That's kind of my paraphrase of what it says, but you get the idea. Gamaliel says, look, if this Jesus thing is, isn't real, it won't last, right? If it's not real, they're going to do their thing, and people are going to get excited, and the news cycle will go on, and it'll fizzle out, and we'll still be in charge, and they'll be fishing, But if it's real, if it's real, we are in danger of finding ourselves fighting against God. And so they kind of slapped the apostles on the hand and said, go about your business. So the question of what's real and how the kingdom of God reacts to reality isn't new in the middle of Acts. It shows up way back at the beginning. What's real and what about the kingdom? And is the kingdom real? And is the kingdom ultimate reality? And if it is, don't get in the way. It it will not be stopped. So we come to chapter 12, and the church has experienced far more persecution than they had in chapter 5. In fact, chapter 12 begins with this striking scene of Herod. This is King Herod Agrippa the Elder, grandson of Herod the Great, who we know from the gospel. So Herod Agrippa got shipped off or sent off to Rome early in his life as a child, grew up with being really tight with a lot of the emperor's family, and now he's, he knows the right people and he's networked sufficiently that he's in charge and he's king in this area in Judea. So Herod saw an opportunity to gain popularity with the people, the consummate politician. So he grabs James. This is not James, the brother of Jesus. We get him later on. This is James, the brother of John. Remember the first couple of disciples, Jesus calls. They're out there working with their dad on the boat. That's who we're talking about here. Sons of thunder. These are the guys who wanted to call down fire from heaven on the people who were doing miracles, doing signs in Jesus' name, ministering in Jesus' name. So here he grabs James, lays violent hands upon the church, and executes him, kills him with a sword. We don't get a lot of detail, just fact of the matter, here's what happened. And then we're told in verse three, Herod saw that it pleased the Jews. Now, if you're a politician and you do something and everybody else is like, hey, that was exciting. We're a big fan of that. What are you going to (laughs) do? Rinse and repeat, right? Like, do it again. So he goes and he grabs Peter and he locks Peter up. But there's a festival going on, so let's just wait till that's over. But then we'll give Peter the same thing we gave James. Everybody thought I was great when I killed James. They're going to think I'm even better when I killed Peter. This is good. And it feels very real, doesn't it? Like when the king shows up at your house with a sword, you feel like you're running into reality, don't you? When suffering enters into your life, when someone you love is dead, when your marriage is on the rocks, when your kids have lost their minds, It feels very real. That does feel real, doesn't it? It feels very real. And it's very easy to be very focused on that thing and not be asking the question, how is God at work in this to advance his kingdom? Because remember, that's the invisible reality. That's the invisible reality, but it's very, very hard to focus on things we can't see sometimes. And it requires a great deal of discipline, habit, and wisdom, and community, and grace. <laughs> so this is where we are. The threat feels like reality. So Peter gets hauled in, thrown in prison, and Herod wants to make sure this is done right. Maybe he's heard of, <laughs> you know, a couple of guards at the tomb of Jesus wasn't enough, so we're going to have four, four guards, four Well, let me remind myself what it says here. Four squads, not just four guards, four squads of soldiers. Like like one squad's not enough for this one former fisherman, now apostle. Four. The very night Herod was going to bring Peter out, this is verse 6, bound with two chains, sleeping between two soldiers. Like he wants to make sure no accidents happen. The one chain is faulty, we got another to back it up. If one guard falls asleep, one soldier falls asleep, we got ones at the, we got some at the doorway, and then all of a sudden, reality happens. It feels like the guards are real. It feels like the chains are real. It feels like you're going to die tomorrow. Is what? It feels real. It feels so real that when God shows up with his or when God sends his messenger, Peter doesn't think the messenger of God is what. So my my concern is if Peter, who literally walked around Judea with Jesus, who ate with him, who was there when he broke the bread and said, this is my body, if that guy can get mixed up on what's real, what about me? So here's Peter. Peter. It's almost funny, isn't it? I mean, I, as I was reading this, I was sort of having to not laugh because the, the, <laughs> the angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell and he tapped Peter on the side. Like, okay, excuse me. <laughs> like as if the angel, angelic appearance with all the glistening light wasn't enough to wake him up. It's like, ah, and then he has to tap him on the side. Hello, wake up, time to go. The angel of the Lord taps Peter on the shoulder and he's like, come on, man, let's go. Get up quickly in the chains not just one but how many two that we thought were real what happens to them they fell off right because when God is at work what looks real lacks power maybe that should have been the bottom line (laughs) when God is at work the things we think are real lack power they lack strength they are not able to bind the people of God When the kingdom of God is active and operative in the most counterintuitive surprising places. Like Herod thinks kingdoms are out front with swords and speeches and crowds and acclamation but the kingdom of God advances in the prison cell doesn't it? The kingdom of God shows up behind the guards and behind the the gates and Peter almost misses it because he's because he's distracted by what he thinks is real. He's forgotten that the closer you get to the kingdom, the closer you get to reality. Angel taps Peter on the side, wakes him up, get up quickly, the chains fell off his wrist. The angel said to him, fasten your belt, put on your sandals. And he did it. Then the angel said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter went out and followed him, and get this, verse 9, you probably noticed it when we read it together a moment ago, he did not realize, this is Peter, this is apostle, this is on this rock, I will build my church. He did not realize that what was happening with the angel's help was what? Real. How easy it is, friends, how easy it is. To fall into the trap of assuming what we see is more real than what we can't. How easy it is. Reality just broke Peter out of prison. And he thinks he's dreaming. After they passed, verse 10, the first... And the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. They went outside and walked along a lane, and the angel leaves. And this time, finally, Peter goes, Huh. I guess that was real. He didn't go, Oh, this is real when the chains fell off. He didn't say, Oh, this is real when they walked past the first guard. He didn't say, Oh, this is real when he walked past the second guard. He didn't say, Oh, this is real when the... when you know, the gates did a big Obi-Wan Kenobi and opened up right in front of his face and he goes out onto the street and starts walking down the road. He doesn't see reality even though reality is happening right in front of him. He thinks he's dreaming or having a vision or something. And then finally the angel leaves. The most real thing there departs and Peter goes, huh, I'm free And that's real. It's counterintuitive, it's surprising, but it's reality. The kingdom of Herod, the kingdom of the Roman Empire, does not define reality. The kingdom of God defines reality. And the closer you get to that kingdom, the closer you get to what's real. Now, Peter's not the only one who misses what's real. You probably noticed this when we were reading through it a moment ago. He's like, all right, I'm out. Their guards are still chilling in the prison, and here I am in the road. I guess I'll go find the brothers, see what happens. So he goes, and uh, verse 12, as soon as he realized, notice the word real eyes, He realized what's real. He goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name is Mark. Many had gathered and were praying. <laughs> They're probably praying for Peter because they know he's going to get slaughtered tomorrow, right? When Peter knocks at the outside gate, Rhoda comes to the door. Rhoda's a maid. She comes to check on it. Everybody's praying. They can't be bothered. She comes in, knocks on the gate. Peter's out there. Recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. This is almost as funny as the angel tapping Peter on the shoulder. Here's Rhoda, and she's going to the gate, and she's probably scared, probably got like the little like slide the thing and see who's out there, you know, because maybe they're after the rest of us too. They've already killed James and Peter's going down tomorrow. Who knows what's about to happen, right? So she, she's like, and she realizes it's Peter. And she's so excited, she doesn't let him in. She just runs off and tells everybody else. And what do they say? That's not real. Like they're praying probably for Jesus to intervene. And when he does, they say, it's not real let that sink in. Just let it sink in. Jesus, I need you to be at work in this relationship in my life. Jesus, I need you to be at work in my church. Jesus, I need you to be at work in our country. Jesus, I need you to be at work. Jesus, I need you to do something. We're up against a brick wall. I don't know what to do. My marriage, my kids, all the stuff is just happening. It feels like the world is coming apart. And when Jesus goes to work, how often do we look and go, that's not real. Like, we're not immune to this. We're not immune to it. The closer we get to the kingdom, the closer we get to reality. And it's possible to be asking Jesus to work and asking God to bring, like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's possible to just say that prayer without actually paying attention to how the Lord is doing it. And that's not where we want to be, is it? I don't think that's where we want to be. Is that where you want to be? It's not where I want to be. I want reality. And when reality shows up at the gate, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. So they say to her, you're out of your mind. It's not real. But Rhoda's persistent. And she (laughs) insists, yes, it is. And so they come And there it is, it's Peter, and they finally let him, he's still knocking, right? I love it when the Bible's funny. He's still knocking, they come in, he tells them the story, and everybody begins to see, you know what, wow, this is like, this is real. Like, reality, like Jesus is at work. And we didn't, like, we didn't see it, we missed it. We thought Herod was in charge, but he's not. Jesus is in charge. We thought the guy who reigns in Jerusalem is in charge, or the guy who reigns in Rome is in charge. But in reality, the one who is in charge is the one who reigns at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Remember in Acts, Jesus is enthroned in heaven, not because it's where you want to go, but because it's where the one who calls the shots for the kingdom sits. Heaven is the reality that defines the advance of the kingdom to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That reality drives everything here. And so we begin to see with Herod that the threat, like the threat is real. We're not saying it's not. Like James is dead. The threat is real, but it's not final. The threat is real, but it's not definitive. Because after all, James may be dead, but we just had Easter. James may be dead, but the gospel is Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. So the threat is real, but it's not final. And at the end of the passage, Herod is dead. And James is waiting for the resurrection. The day when Jesus Christ will return. And the dead in Christ shall rise. And the body of corruption will be taken over by incorruption. And the body of mortality will be clothed with immortality. And the words that we confess together this morning, I believe in the resurrection of the body, will be reality on the day when Christ comes. So you hold on to that vision of reality... And a little bit later, when you're scrolling through your cell phone on whichever app you prefer, don't get distracted from what's real. Most of the stuff on your phone isn't real or not completely real. (laughs) It's somebody's spin or somebody's version or somebody's ad or somebody's sponsored post or somebody who wants something from you. Jesus wants something for you. He wants to fill you with his life, and he wants to give you a vision of his kingdom, a vision of ultimate reality. He wants to draw you into that kingdom. He wants to bring you closer to that reality. And the closer you get to his kingdom, the closer you get to what is most real. No matter how it looks, no matter who just died, no matter who's in office, no matter who your boss is, no matter what your kids do, Jesus, is real. or maybe I should say, hey kids, no matter what your parents do, like Jesus is most real, and his kingdom is most real, and he loves you more than you can imagine, to the utmost, he loves you first, he loves you to the end, he loves you completely. In a little while, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to hear those words. This is my body broken for you. You don't let your body get broken for people you don't love. Do you? You're only willing to get broken for people you love more than you love yourself. And that's what the Lord does for us. And so the question, you maybe you're asking, like, how do I do this? How do I focus on reality? How do, I, how do I drive away the distractions? How do I get clear on, like, I need a diagnostic. I need help. Like, how do I do this? Surprise, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Being in this room this morning is one of the disciplines that helps you see what's real. Gathering with the people of God to worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to come to the sacrament, the body and blood of Christ, to hear the word of God read and explained, to sing together, to pray together. You want to know what's real? The Apostles' Creed is real. And the more you say it, the more it shapes the way you see reality. It may not be cool, but guess what? Stuff that's cool, usually isn't going to be around very long. And it's not real. Not for long anyway. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. That's real. As it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. That's real. I believe in God the Father Almighty. That's real. The kingdom of God. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's real. It's more real than anything else. And Jesus reigns at the throne of heaven over earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is ultimate reality. So what do you do? You run towards reality. And when you're not running towards reality, you red flag it. Hey, here's this thing that's distracting me. Here's a conversation. Here's a relationship. Here's an app. Here's a meeting. Here's there are There's an infinite list of distractions out there, aren't there? That doesn't mean you just can't. Un- all of those things have to be held in relation to what's real. You don't get to skip all your meetings because of that, but you see what I'm getting at. When I let those things determine my reality, when I let that meeting that went south or that relationship that's broken to define who I am, to determine my reality, to destroy my countenance, to, to, to take my eyes off my Lord, then I have a false vision of what's real. But if I go into those meetings and go into those relationships and go into all of those different infinite number of variables that can happen every day of my life with my eyes on Jesus and the Scriptures in my heart, then I'm being defined by what's real. And things that are a shadow of reality will not turn my course. So you want want to be able to focus on what's real? Focus on the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself and to your children every day. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus is Lord. God raised Him from the dead. His body was broken. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. To make a new covenant so that sinners like you and me could be reconciled to His Father and to our Father. So that we could be the people in whom His Spirit dwells. That's reality. When you find yourself getting distracted? Preach the gospel to yourself. Allow that reality to define you, to shape you. Think about it like like there are people who go to the gym, people who do other other disciplines, and study, and we work, and we give ourselves to these things. What if we were disciplined to go to the gospel the way some people are disciplined to go to to the gym? to sports, to whatever. (laughs) Run to the gospel. The gospel is reality. Run to the kingdom. Run to the church. Gather with people who are seeking what's real, what's lasting, what's eternal. And when you do, the Lord Jesus Christ will focus you on what's real and all the uh, the threats, the chains, the swords in your life will no longer define you because Jesus defines you and his kingdom defines your citizenship. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumcorg sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.